Merritt Street, we're building a new morning show where our guiding principle is to always value your time. We'd love for you to join us. Be part of our community. Each morning will be packed full of news, information, advice, and a lot of fun. And we promise we'll never waste your time. I'm Dominique Soxa. I'm Fanchon Stinger. Join us for Morning on Merritt Street. 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Essential Television. What was your biggest contract in the NFL? That two years for four million. I was set for life. I'm gonna have an an apartment. And, yeah. And some girl will at least like me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So. I think God just gives you some fairy dust sometimes and gives people different gifts, right? Did I work hard? Absolutely. Did I give it everything? Did I love it? Yeah. And I'm also like, well, what happens if I was five foot five? You have three boys. Will you encourage them or discourage them about playing football? Hey, I'm sitting down with the hottest man in football, and he's not even playing. I'm talking about Tony Romo. He's a dad, he's got three kids, and he has set the booth on fire as the number one color commentator in football. Some say if the Kansas City Chiefs had been talking to him, they would have been in the Super Bowl. You're going to learn a lot about Tony Romo you didn't know. He is special. That's going to happen in less than one minute. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. On Oops! The Podcast, join me, comedian Julio Gallarotti, as I examine everyday life, the mistakes, the bad decisions, the goals, the jokes, the social engagements, and all things in between. I'm joined every week by producer and personal confidant, Ryan Lynch, various other comedians for witty, candid, and intoxicating conversation. Our listeners love Oops! for sophisticated banter, aka your mom could listen, and many feel like they're in the room with us chopping it up with old pals. You can find every episode of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. I've been doing a, a kind of a series on this championship concept and what makes some people champions when other people aren't. And I've been a fan of yours forever because I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. Well, I'm a Cowboy fan every Sunday morning, and then I quit them every Sunday night, <laughs> and I swear off of them until the next Sunday morning, and then I'm back again, and then I quit them on Sunday night, and I'm back again the next Sunday morning. They're so frustrating. Well, that means you're a true fan of sports then, because yeah. I feel like that's how I, uh, I never wanted to see you during the season back when I played then. I was like, oh, we lost. Don't go in public. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just, I've just been a Cowboy lover forever. And I'll never, I'll never give them up. What a career. You came from Eastern Illinois University, right? Yeah. How many students were there? <laughs> like uh, nine? Um, yeah, probably around. It's a, it was a around tiny 9, school, 000. right? It's tiny. Was it one, two A? It's, it was one double A at that time. And I think they've changed that now, but FBS, FCS stuff. But the crazy part is I feel like it's life in some ways where it's like when you're a kid, you don't really know that you do or don't have money or that your house is big or not, or that you yeah. or like, I have nice clothes or don't, you just kind of just, you're there and you're doing it and then life happens and then you learn as you get older. That's how that college was for me. It was like, it didn't feel small at the time. Yeah. You know, as I got older and went back, you're like, boy, these, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of options here to go eat around the corner. I mean, literally, is it like 5,000 students or something? Yeah. The whole town like included who with the college, you know, was under 20,000. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, I feel like it's just like a small town and I don't know, it, it really was enjoyable though. It was one of those places where you, you kind of get to like grow up with your friends, you're going to school, you're walking everywhere. Yeah. You know, you don't need Uber there. You didn't yeah, need, no. I don't think they're surviving very no. much there. But, and we're kind of working backwards, but do, do you ever stop and look at your career, I mean, 14 years as a quarterback for the Cowboys and look back and say, out of all of the tens of 
thousands of college players, college quarterbacks, coming from that tiny school, winding up the quarterback for America's team, setting all the records that you set for passing, touchdowns, all of that. Do you ever look back at that and say, how did that happen? What do you say to yourself about that? Well, it's it's a great question. And there's like two things that come to my mind when I hear that. And uh, the first one is like, I really don't look back very often. Like you're always moving on to the next thing and the next yeah. thing. And then you're just like, oh, but you do sprinkle in a, a thought of the odds whenever like somebody asks a question like that. Then you're like, well, that is a good point because life just kind of happens. And it feels gradual to me where it's like, you're just trying to make it at Eastern Illinois and then you're kind of playing a game and you're the backup and then you're the starter and then you're a free agent in the NFL and then you're backup and then you play and then you're winning and then you're trying to win a Super Bowl and then life and it's like it felt gradual so it felt normal um when you say it the way you did it it feels like we shot from Burlington Wisconsin right to the cow and then these odds are so like zero and and you're right the odds are like less than zero but here's the second part that I also think about when I really like sat in that moment after that type of question, I'm like, it kind of gives me gratitude because it's like, I'm just not convinced it was all me. In other words, like, I think God just gives you some fairy dust sometimes and gives people different gifts. Right. But to think like, did I work hard? Absolutely. Did I give it everything? Did I love it? Yeah. And I'm also like, well, what happens if I was five foot five? You know, what happens if I didn't have the frame? What happens if, I mean, there was a million things that I had no control over. A dad who would play catch with me every day of my life, like in the freezing, like minus 10 up in Wisconsin. And just all these things had to kind of connect and go the right way. And it's like, you don't know that when you're in it. But that's, the older I get, I just really believe, you, I don't like taking credit for that type of stuff because it's, it's just too, like you said, the odds are too crazy. It's something had to be helped there. You know what I mean? I totally get that. And I think there has to be bigger plan than we understand. And uh, I always think about it. God has a plan man cannot understand. Yeah. And everything's beautiful in its own time. It's true. But then I also am one of those people that believes pray to God, but row for the shore. Yeah, you better work. I mean, you got, he gives you gifts. That's right. And what are you going to do with them? Yeah, and you got to go grind it. And, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you say, you know, God help me. I gave you oars. Well, yeah. Why aren't you rowing? <laughs> That's exactly and, right. And it's, so the thing I try to, am trying to figure out, and I, I really am trying to impact young people with it, is there are... A thousand people in your same situation that are maybe as talented as you were at the time or more so. Absolutely. I guarantee you there are psychologists out there that have forgotten more psychology than I'll ever know. But I'm where I am and they're where they are. And there's a reason. And part of it is because God's using me in what I'm doing. But why me? And part of it is you know, I had to seize opportunities and do it. And and I, I asked Emmett the same questions. And one of the things he said is he used to run a movie in his head of the whole game before he played it. I mean, he would think, you know, we're going to have like 11 or 12 possessions. And in that, I'm going to carry the ball like four or five times. It's going to be this many plays. And I'd see myself running that play and you know, who's blocking and where I'm, I would see it actually happen. And I thought, and I've studied success since I was 12 years old because of football. I played a football game when I was 12 against a Salvation Army team that had nothing, and they handed us our ass on a platter. I mean, they didn't have matching helmets. They were playing in blue jeans, half of them, no football shoes, they beat us like they were clapping for a barn dance. I was embarrassing, <laughs> humiliating. And it made me really wonder, what do they have that I don't have? Because they didn't have the opportunities I had, and they kicked our butt. And I want to know what they had in here. And I started studying at 12 years old what made people do what they do, what made them tick. 
And I mean, it was real clear early on, those kids were hungry. Yeah. I mean, they were hungry. They, nobody gave them a damn thing. They, they were hungry and they were tough and they fought for everything they got. I mean, I learned a lot right then and I just kept studying it and kept studying it. And they retired your jersey at Eastern Illinois. They've never done that before. They've never <laughs> done that since. That's no accident. I mean, yeah, my, all my, humility aside, that's no accident. First off, like I said, I think that some of this was given. But once you have it, now it's time to go. Let's let's go make this and use the strengths that we have and then go see how good you can be. There are, like you just said, there's a million little things that I feel like are strengths of mine that allow you to have more success or give you an advantage to succeed faster or quicker. Um, when you talk about what Emmett said, you don't get to become the all-time leading rusher without genuinely having some rare special quality that you have to figure out how to get to use at the highest of levels. And for me, I really feel like, I mean, there's, there's a hundred little things, but one of them I really think is a skill set, I guess, is just your thought process to evaluate yourself and how others are reacting to it. And so after every, he talked about doing the game beforehand. I was a hair different. Like for me, I would definitely visualize a little bit, things of that nature, but I really wanted to dissect post practice, post game, and analyze what I thought in that moment. How was my temperament? What was my emotional level? Why? What's the background of this team? And why wasn't I aware I knew this was happening. Why couldn't I get my brain to think of this in this situation on third and seven when I was prepared for it on Thursday, but it didn't come into my brain at that moment on Sunday. And so I would analyze myself and then analyze the mannerisms and things of others at the other side of the ball or coaches and try to be like, well, like, I mean, I'm kind of going off a little bit here, but if I wanted to get a play in with one of my coaches, when I was younger, I would, you'd ask as you got older, I found just through just the natural psychology, what you, you want to call it, just I'm learning his mannerism, what he's taking to and what he's not. And certain things I would say with a certain tone would change how this might get done. And so you're constantly evaluating that. And I feel like um, I do that with everything. Like right now, by the fifth question, I'll be evaluating just how you're like uh, reacting to a question or not, yeah. whether it's being pleasing or not. And it's just like, you know, we know all this stuff. But I really think you have to think about it. If you don't go home and think about it, you're losing to somebody who is. Yeah. And he's getting better. And you're, I think people just, it's hard to get better. You got to really think about it. As an athlete, at whatever level, did you believe that you were the best? No, when it's you, a great question. When you got up in the morning yeah. and you walked to school, <laughs> you walked into the hallway, you went into pep rally in high school or at college <laughs> or whatever. Did you have a swagger? Were you cocky enough? Did you, even if you didn't say it out loud, did you believe I can own this game? Even if you didn't say it to anybody else, did you have inside the idea? There's a confidence within you that um, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask a little bit because I'm, I was very confident at a young age for no reason. <laughs> and so I feel like, I did not own the pep rallies. I was not confident when I walked in high school or was around girls or any of that stuff. If anything, I was very shy. But if you put me in a competitive environment, I couldn't take it if I failed. Like it was almost like you talked about that hunger inside. It was just, it was like breathing. It's like, I can't breathe if I think that you thought you were just better than me yeah. or that you were winning. And, and then, um, do you ever remember the song? I think it's called The Greatest. I think it's, uh, it might be a Kenny Rogers. I could be getting this wrong. But during the song, this kid, and this is exactly my mindset that happens, is this kid goes out with his ball and his bat. And he stands up and he's going. His mom says, hey, it's time to come in. You know, you got you to eat. And he throws his, the ball up. He's just throwing it to himself. And he's swinging and hitting it. Tosses that ball up. That's strike one. 
And the kid goes, that's okay. I am the greatest. Da, 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 da. So he throws it up and he goes, boom, that's strike two. And now it comes down to this final pitch. He's like, okay, I got this one. I am the greatest. He knows he's whiffing, but he's just keeping that mindset. Then the third ball goes up. And that ball comes down. Kid swings, misses it. Comes home. Mom's like, how'd you do, son? Mom, I didn't know I could pitch like that. (laughs) I am the greatest. (laughs) That's great. I feel like that's the mindset. You're constantly confident, even though you're failing, you're learning. You're constantly okay because you're teaching yourself every time. So it's really not, I feel like I tell my kids, I'm like, daddy never cares about winning and losing. Just cares about you learning and getting better. That's all that that I care about. And that's the way I approach it. But when you, when you went into a game, you expected yourself to win. It's, it was like breathing. It was, it, it was hard to take. And that's, I would lose, but I wasn't the guy who would like throw the chair through the wall. My brain automatically went with like, I cannot, like, what can I do to never let this happen again? Like, what do I have to do? I have to get better at this. I have to, I'm not good enough at this. I'm not good enough here. This will eventually come up again. I need to help this coach. I need to help this player who's having trouble in this spot you know those things are what go through my brain you know something that i noticed and i was curious if you did it on purpose because you took over mid-season from drew bledsoe and you know he was injured and you came in and i noticed it every time you were playing i've always told people if there's not something in your life you're passionate about you need to find something you're passionate about because if not, you're just burning daylight and days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months, months turn into years, and pretty soon you look back and your life is over and you've just been going through the motions. But real winners not only have something they're passionate about, they get everybody around them passionate about something. So everybody is excited. And the thing that, stuck out to me about you in the league was you got everybody around you excited. It wasn't just you came in and you were excited. You got everybody around you excited. So there was a change in the psych. I look at the psychology of the game. There was a change in the passion in the huddle. There was a change in the passion of the game when you came in because your passion, your excitement, even the way you scrambled around, all the things you did brought an excitement that lifted everybody's excitement up. Everybody got excited. And so that made the whole team more passionate. Did you notice it? And did you do it on purpose? Uh, I think you're always trying to be a leader and stuff like that. But no, I think it's just, that's your natural charisma. I do think though, There is something about you described wanting everyone's to come to that same type of level. And I just want people to be happy and enjoy themselves. There's something about like, we go to dinner and you're sitting there and you're little, it's just a tough day. And sometimes you have energy, sometimes you don't, but I feel like it's my job to like get you to like have an enjoyable dinner if you're in front of me. And and it's probably a flaw sometimes, but you're right with the team. It's like, you just want, you want everyone to like be in it together and you want us to enjoy it together and you want to be passionate about it and you want to win and it's better and easier to win if you get everyone to really love it like you do. And but, you I know, mean, I've, I've studied the interviews of players. Like when I got ready to do this, I listened not to people interviewing you because I wanted to interview myself. I didn't want to listen to other people interview you. Yeah. I listen to people interviewing the people around you. Hmm. And what I noticed is when they were interviewing your teammates throughout those 14 years, a common theme is those people felt better about themselves after they were around you than they did before they were around you. And they frequently said that. They said, I feel better about myself as a person and a player after I've been around Tony than before I was. 
that's what we call, there's a name for that in psychology. It's called a health engendering personality. That when you're around somebody and you feel better about you after being around them than you did before you were around them, that's a health engendering personality. And not using that label or that term, a lot of people you played with described you in those terms. They said they felt better about themselves after playing with you, hanging out with you, being in the locker room with you, being in the huddle with you than they did before they were. Well, I've never heard that. That's Listen to you. I mean, you that's won't. shocking. I mean, I feel like I've never gone back and read or saw that stuff, but I mean, it's kind of makes you feel good, to be honest with you, that they would say that. Well, it should because uh, you, you talk about being a leader. If If people are around you and they feel better about themselves – for being around you, you're lifting their game. You're lifting their game of life. You're lifting their game of football. You're lifting how they feel when they go home. And I think that's why you got a lot more out of what might not have been the best talent pool some years than might have been gotten out of them elsewise. <laughs> Is that a I tactful you. way of saying that? Very politically. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you saying that. I think, I don't know. I just feel like, I feel like you want to win. You can't not win. I'll just keep going until I can't breathe. It feels like, and that's why in football is like, if I would have kept playing, I might've just died at the end of this day. I mean, like yeah. to the point where you'd have to, it was almost like a family choice. Cause it's like, I can't get out of my own way when it comes to that. And so when I moved down to CBS, it was, it was a similar approach where it was, they're like, well, you know, if you, and I'm like, listen, if I'm failing, <laughs> we're all staying here for the next 96 straight hours yeah. just so we can practice it. One thought, like I can't, it's hard to be not good enough, if that makes sense. It's just a thing that you have kind of, that's just innate and it drives you nuts. Because you're so competitive, how did you make the decision to move on from the game? Well, I think I needed to be, not so selfish in some ways. I think, uh, you know, I got three boys and, you know, I recognize just some of the injury aspect of some things that had come about, obviously with my back and knowing how hard it was for a year or two to get through that and get ready and prepare. And, um, and in a lot of ways there was a loyalty to a lot of the people within the Cowboys, you know, some teammates, that you've went through a lot of games with and a lot of battles and then, you know, front office coaches, people that you really wanted to, I didn't want to leave the game and feeling like I just said, all right, goodbye. Good luck. Cause I know how hard that game is. And yeah. uh, I know how much you can influence and help others like you described. And, and uh, it was actually weirdly made easier when I felt like they were in good hands. Mm -hmm. And that, that part of it actually was, it gave me a feeling of, okay, I wasn't necessarily thinking this right now, but it was coming out around the corner pretty soon. And then it was like, I've given as much as I, I know I've given everything, uh, but I will continue to do this until 58. If it took to win a Super Bowl. it's like, I got to get out of my own way in some, in some way and uh, be a dad and, and, and do other something else. Was it a solitary decision? I mean, was this something that you sat down by yourself, it's, you walked around, drove around, thought about, and made the decision on your own? It, my wife, you know, my parents. Ultimately, you're going to come down to your own, you know, core. But you talked to Candace, you talked to your parents. Absolutely, yeah. My wife is very smart. My dad, mom, I mean, I've got really intelligent people around as far as sometimes seeing a blind spot that I may not be able to pick up on. And uh, I think that's, you know, why I'm lucky in a lot of ways. Your, your dad was supportive athletically, you said, all the way along, right? Like oh, yeah. Like catch with you 10, 10 below in Wisconsin. Oh, my gosh. My dad, he would drive at Eastern Illinois. I was the backup redshirt freshman year. He drove, uh, got off work on Friday night, drove for the noon game to Kentucky from Wisconsin. Got in the car, drove there, got there, whatever in the morning. Let's say he left at nine o'clock. To watch at you watch. <laughs> to watch me watch in case I possibly got in the game. Watched the game, gave him a hug, he went home. Yeah. I mean, that's a nice 24 hour round trip of driving or whatever it was. But he was there in case you got in. In case I got in. I'm mean, just like, that's my dad. 
at his yeah. core. Yeah, he he was in the Navy originally, right? Mm-hmm. And then he was a carpenter. Yep, exactly. Yeah, he worked his way up, project manager, superintendent, all that. Yeah, and then your mom was a retail clerk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom she, worked at Sears. She was a retail yeah. clerk. My grandma was at Kohl's, and then my mom yeah. was. My mom ended up doing books. Now they do a, you know, a lot of the help with some of the financial stuff. Yeah, are you still close? Oh yeah, yeah. They were just just saw them this week. Yeah, they come down still all the time. They like their grandkids. <laughs> when you made the decision to stop, did you know what you were going to do at that point? I did know then. Yeah, at that point, I'd I'd made the decision probably to go into broadcasting and um you know it was a strange time just because you're like i've been doing this literally your whole life i do think you described it earlier saying you better find something you love there's a deep-rooted joy for me in trying to get somewhere in other words trying to accomplish something Mm -hmm. and uh i had that in football your whole career and it was easy in some ways because you're always winning or losing and it's going to smack tell you right in your face and the world's going to tell you too. Yeah. But uh, I was nervous about that part of it moving on. Yeah. Well, you were in a game where they grade your paper every week and it's public. I mean, it's right there. Yeah. Did the press bother you? I, I mean, think, if you had a bad game I, or a bad and they, they trash you in the press, did that bother you? Well, I think when I was young, when I first started, I just have to take you through a little bit of the mindset because I feel like it kind of shapes you. But when I first started in 06, I think we won like five out of our first six games. And really the other one was a block field goal that we had won and they kicked it like to beat us like complete shift. Yeah. We started off really good. And then what happened? So you're like, Oh, cause you want to be a good person. You want to do the right things. Yeah. And try and people hopefully like, like you. Well, then all of a sudden there's like a bad game or a bad stretch or something and completely shifts. And then I'll, then you're terrible you know, and this is before even the social media aspect. It would be like comments from an article or something. Yeah. I can remember reading that way back then. And I was like, I don't understand. Why Why are people so mean? It was yeah. like, well, I thought it was all this friend. Like I thought I was, we were friends. That, like, well, you liked me. What happened here? And uh, then when that happened, it kind of showed me where I was like, oh, this just kind of goes with the seasons of life. It's like... You really can't control it per se. Because I tried to, I think, when I was younger. Just be nice to everyone. Do everything for everybody. Do every interview. Do everything. Blah, blah, blah. Like, and then you're just running ragged. And it really didn't matter. Ultimately, it was like your performance on the field is going to be out there for everyone to see. Yeah, whatever. And so eventually, it would just turn into a turtle shell. And, you know, I could read an article and it could be great or poor. And it really would have almost no effect emotionally now at this point. Early on in your career, it was super emotional going through it. Did you ever worry when you had a bad year, a bad season, about Jerry Jones being impulsive, pulling the trigger, making a change? No, because just, you know, when you play the game, you kind of know your skill set a little bit. I mean, sure, stuff can happen all the time. But, you know, I think more than anything, it was if you line two people up, some guy's going to get through this progression faster than the other guy. And you can just see that when you play the game a little bit. And that's probably me being a hair too <laughs> cocky, yeah. I feel like. But I felt comfortable with just that skill set I told you. That was the part that I had a gift with was my ability to see things at a very quick, fast pace. And that that's what separated me. And just you don't see, you know, run across that, you know, part of it. So I felt like that was an advantage that I would always yeah. be able to have. Some I'd, teams are better than others. You know, some yeah, years you course. play better than others, but. How'd you get along with Jerry? I love Jerry. I've, you guys have always been very tight, right? Yeah. I mean, since I started playing, I mean, real close. And he could tell you a story about him and Bill Parcells trying to strong arm me from like two feet away to sign a contract. That was, uh, I was in my second year, I believe, in the NFL, second or third year. And he was, it was right before a preseason game. Bill Parcells and Jerry called me in to this office and I'm like nobody, just a kid who's second or third string at the time. We're getting ready for a preseason game to go out there and I'm going to start this game because they're resting all the starters. Yeah. So I'm the backup kid who's going to play. And this is 20 minutes before the game. Tony, sit right here. I sit down and within 
I'm, I mean, literally knees are touching Bill Parcells on one side, Jerry on the other and both the knees. And like, we talked to your agent yesterday. We think you need to sign this contract for $300,000 for the next <laughs> two years or like 600,000 or something. Otherwise we can't play you. And Parcells like, we can't play out there. I can't show the rest of the league, you know, you go out here and play. I'm not going to start you and do that. And so you can just try and make money out there. So that's not, we need you to sign this thing and tell your agent to get, to get, you know, to understand where you're at. And so I was like, and so it's obviously the most frightening situation you've ever been in as an athlete by that's, far. That's two bulls sitting oh in front of you. Gosh. And, you know, Bill's just breathing heavy right all over you. And uh, all of a sudden, I just, I don't know what, but you just, you get calm and you think about it logically. And so then I speak to them logically from my perspective. I was like, you know, I completely understand why you guys would say that. Being in your position, I would probably do the exact same thing. However, you know, from my position, just to explain mine, you have a quarterback, Drew Bloodsoe, who came back, and if he leads us to the NFC Championship game this year, I'm not going to be able to play now after three years. And then there's four years. And it's like, and if I sign two or three more of your deal, like I know the money's not that big a deal. Uh, it's not that big of a me. I want to play. But I also understand this is a business. And if you guys pay me, you're more inclined to give me an opportunity to play. So if you're investing in me, real money, I know that you'll make a concerted effort to get me on the football field. If you don't, you don't really have to. You don't need to. And so for me, coming from someone who just wants to play and an opportunity, that's that's where I feel like I can't do it for any less than, and I said like, Two years, four million, or something like two a year, or something. Which a at whole the lot time more than they were saying was was more money than you could have dreamed you're ever going to make in your life. And and I was like, but I can understand why you guys said that, and you can just let me know what, what you guys decide. Obviously, I want to play today. That's the most important thing to me. It would devastate me, but you know, I understand. You guys have to do what you have to do. It's a business sometimes, but I'll go get ready, and you just let me know. So we walk out and I, I, Jerry tells me the story now. Me and Bill looked over afterward and he goes, we got ourselves a damn quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked out of there and I'm like, I blacked out. What happened? I don't remember anything. <laughs> it was, it was a tough spot, but. So what'd you sign for? Two years, 4 million. Two years, 4 million. I got like a one or two up front, I think, but. And how long after that meeting did you sign? Oh, the next week. Oh, it was the next week, yeah. right away, huh? Yeah. Jerry might even write it before I left. Might have said, like, you know what? We're going to do it. Let's do the deal. I'm fine with it. I think you might be right. And you played? I ended up playing. That I day? think that was the year, I believe. But you played that game that day that they were saying, I don't know, we I did. put you on the field? They came out. Because I think what happened ultimately, at their core, they wanted a guy who could walk in that room and be like them yeah. and be comfortable and own it and stand in front of this team and be like, I got you. That's yeah. what they wanted. And so they, I think they felt like. Well, it's over the backbone. Yeah. They wanted someone to be able to come in there and be like, I'm your quarterback. You kidding? Yeah. Look, let's just, let's just watch the game and yeah. then we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I mean, what a ride. Hmm. I mean, it can be a long way to fall and the silence can be deafening. When it rolled around, when you would have been in camp, when you would have been getting ready, what did it feel like to not do it after 14 years? Surprisingly <laughs> good. <laughs> I think I think I captured a lot of the competition aspect of trying to be good in the broadcast world and then golf. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that same stuff I tell you about football, I'm kind of shifting over to golf a little where it's like, yeah. let's see how good we can be at this and yeah. let's see how, how much we can improve. And then, yeah. you know, I love football so much. I've studied that for so many years, but the broadcasting aspect, you know, that's like enjoyable. Yeah. Not as the competitive side of it per se, but the enjoyment from just loving the game and trying to have that come about. As you look at it from that point of view now, what do you think about where the game's going in terms of 
head injuries and protecting the quarterback and that sort of thing. You you were down in the trenches before. Now you're watching some of these hits from the booth and seeing some of the rule changes and stuff with CTE and all this that's being learned about. Where do you think the game's headed? Where do you think it should head in terms of protecting the players and the head injuries? Well, I think what they're doing is exactly what they should be. It's It should be about player safety. I mean, these are real people with real families, and I think the NFL has done a great job of learning about, you know, the stuff they didn't really have a great understanding, I guess, before. And so they've put a lot of money and a lot of people and a lot of stuff into making the game safer. And the thing that I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, I won't be football anymore. I'm like, you're still watching. And it it is. It's still extremely physical. It's extremely dangerous as far as like just your knee, you know. It's like if we can figure out a way to protect the head, that's a great thing. You know, just you're putting your legs and your body on the line. That's why it's a young man's sport. It's hard. What Tom Brady's doing is incredible. Yeah, but he's got a lot of protection, though. I mean, he gets knocked down less than any of the other quarterbacks across time. So. And you want to know part of the reason that is is because of his intelligence, yeah. his ability to get to the right play and understand when they're pressuring, when yeah. they're not. Other guys are just running plays. Not everybody. Yeah. But, you know, you look across the league, it's like you want to beat that team. He's going he's gonna to know what you're in, and he's going to get to the right play a lot of the time. Yeah, and he gets rid of that ball really quick. Yeah. I mean, it's a smart thing. If he's healthy for that football team going into the end of the year, you know how this turns out a lot of the time. I mean, yeah. just, it's rare. Yeah, yeah. there's no question about it. Um, I, I've got to get your opinion about this, and then I want to talk about broadcasting for sure, but there was a huge no call this year, obviously, with the Saints. Mm-hmm. And Sean Payton's a good friend of mine, and he's still pissed off about it, of course. But if the call had been made, they could have just run the clock out, taken a knee. I mean, that doesn't mean something couldn't have happened or whatever. I understand that you don't know what could happen, but high percentage, they would have been in the Super Bowl if that call had yeah. been made. And I think everybody agrees that was probably one of the most blatant missed calls I can remember uh, in a long time. What could they or should they have done about that? In your opinion, it's not a P that's not something you can review. It's not reviewable under the rules, right? Yeah. You can't do, I mean, it's just a human error. I know that people want more from it. Was it the right call? No. I mean, I think everyone knows it was a penalty. I think you can't fault either team for, I mean, both these guys have were incredible. It comes down to a possession. I mean, both teams had the ball, you know, again, later in that game. So it's just, there are so many things. I personally haven't played the game for so long. Crap happens. It just has to be devastating. When you talk to Sean, you know when you have a shot at the Super Bowl, and it's that real, and it's that close. It just doesn't happen very often in that exact moment. But in football games, it happens a lot, and you're like, well, this would have changed the whole game with six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. People don't remember. This was the most blatant time that you saw a real human error on a critical stage and moment. And, I mean, there's no real great answer. You know? But there's seven refs on the field at the time, and even though but those they have refs... Jobs, they have jobs. The other ones are like the guy standing behind, you know, it's just a one or two person. But, I mean, shouldn't somebody have thrown a flag or even run across and say, what are you thinking? I mean, I mean, the guy selling Dr. Pepper saw that. They, they You know, it's funny is there is a thing... With the American Alliance uh, football, the AAF, that I think is going to do a great job, actually, in how they're they're starting this off. But they actually have a sky judge. So basically, a guy to be like, that was wrong. They got Click. a god eye. He's basically just, yeah, he's there to say, this is, this is random. Like, we can just overturn what you did or didn't do. Yeah. And you know, that that I like. You only need it for what? For that type of situation, it's for that situation. You, yeah. you know, it's that important. Why did that guy not make that call? I mean, <laughs> did, I mean, I know in real time it happens fast, but how do you not see that? I mean, was he just in that second looking away? I mean, what? How do? You, 
I've, I've looked at it a hundred times, and it doesn't seem like he wasn't looking. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's almost like a guy running to first. It's like the ball obviously got there before the runners hit the base, but he just bang banged, and he's like, "No, I thought it was closer." It's like, yeah, I mean, I've I, the guy's obviously not dishonest. He's not biased. It's just it's just incompetent. He just didn't do it. He just didn't do it. It's a sports is not without human error. No, it's that. not. You have three boys. Will you encourage them or discourage them about playing football? I don't think I'll ever discourage them from doing anything. Or, like, to me, it goes back to what you said. I'm like, if you really like this, go play it. What I I won't allow them from a dad, from my perspective, if everything's the same as it is, um, you know, 10 years from now, but they won't play tackle football until eighth grade. That'll be the first time I'll let them. I just don't I just don't believe it's a craft sport. So if in tennis you need to go practice tennis to get better at tennis. Yeah. Um the only position that I really believe is a craft oriented position is the quarterback where it's like you physically getting better at throwing does make you better. Most other positions it's running. Yeah. And it's your vision and your instinct. Well, yeah, you hadn't played football before. These other kids, well, you have. It's seven on seven. You've played all these, you know, a lineman isn't way more dominant as a sophomore because he played in fifth grade tackle. It just, your body changes, you get bigger, you get, you know, I don't think you gain anything from doing it is what what I believe. And there's only a downside. If your kid wants to play it, to me, you know, that's a discussion. But I feel like if I tell them that at a young age, they understand you know, it's important to me and you, know, you can play football. I'm not saying you can't. And I love the game. I know what it's brought me and my family. Would you be afraid of head injuries? Uh, I don't think I would be afraid. I mean, you just, you know, I know about my whole history and, and uh, I don't think you do anything afraid. I think if you're playing, you're playing. But if you're thinking about that, you shouldn't be playing. Well, one of my best friends is the head of neurosurgery at Cedar sinai Hospital in L.A., Dr. Pat Johnson. I asked him the question. He is, he's also works as a sideline doctor for the NFL. He takes them in the tent when yep. they come off. And I asked him, knowing what you know about CTE and knowing what you know about head injuries and Ooh. knowing what you know about all the things that are coming out and being the specialist you are, would you tell parents – that it's foolish to let their kids play football. Would you tell them they shouldn't do that? And he said, not even almost. Isn't that funny? Not even almost. And I was really surprised at what he said. And I said, why is that? And he said, you're a perfect example. Would you have gone to college without a football scholarship? And I said, not a chance. (laughs) He said, there you go. Changes your life. Are there risks? Yeah, there are risks, but there would have been risks if you were running a backhoe. Yeah. And he said, you wouldn't have gone to college without it. You went to college with it, and I'm sitting here talking to you today. And he said, there are risks in whatever you do, and I don't think they're particularly higher doing that than if you're doing manual labor, working with a skill saw or a backhoe or whatever. And he said, a lot of the kids that play football, it's their ticket out. And he said it was certainly your ticket out. It really was. Because we grew up really poor. I, mean, I was very poor. And I, I went to University of Tulsa, which was a private school and very expensive, on a full ride. And I would have never gone without it. Yeah. I never went to Eastern Illinois. You know, yeah. that's just, there's no way that, yeah. You love something and you're good at it. I don't think you can nitpick in this life. Life is yeah. hard enough for, yeah. I don't care who you are. It doesn't, yeah. it's not handed to you. You don't just, if you're going to really make something yourself, you're going to have to grind and and it's going to get hard and it's not easy every day. Yeah. And that was something I could do. It's something I could do and I loved it. And as it turned out, I wasn't worth a damn at it. I, mean, I wasn't very good. I was. <laughs> I wasn't either though. That's the crazy part. It just, you just I wasn't very better. big, but at least I was slow. <laughs> so, I'm slow too. Uh, talk to me about this transition to the booth because, um, Come on, you went from being on the football field to the number one 
color analyst spot on the number one network in television. That's a big jump. <laughs> yeah, I guess when you say it like that, it sounds like well, it just, it just... I, I do a lot of business with CBS. <laughs> I've, I mean, I do a lot of business with CBS. I'm, I'm CBS centric on my daytime show. I have primetime shows with them. I do. That's a big jump. Yeah, I think. Um... It felt like a normal segue move, I guess, at the time that you're just, you're going from this and now you're going to be like, I love the game. It keeps me involved in the game. I get to work with Jim Nance. You know, that was a pretty, yeah. pretty, really neat deal for me. Great chemistry between the two of you. And he says great chemistry as well. You feel it, right? Oh, yeah. No, he I sets you up really well because he understands the game and he knows what you know and what he doesn't know. So it's a perfect division of labor. You're 100% right. Jim is the rarest guy who is a play-by-play guy who knows the game, but he also knows me, and he knows our environment, and he knows the situation. He just has this gift of like, probably not unlike you, where it's like you can see how this is going or see the situation and kind of adapt. He's done so many little things where I'll go back and watch and be like, I didn't even know he did that, but that totally got me to go there or to do this. Yeah. And then there's a selfless side to it too that he he is really one of the most genuine caring people that I've ever met and yeah. he's that way in the booth. Like yeah. and I mean it's hard to explain to people how that can come about but yeah. you know if you're not close with somebody I really feel like it can show and it really does hurt the broadcast and yeah. me and Jim are real close and he's just Well, he's a very genuine guy. He is. And he can't say enough about his respect for you and for you being a rookie in the booth and all, he doesn't focus on that. He focuses on what you bring to the booth knowledge wise about the game. Yeah. And a lot of people have, and you mentioned reading the press and, you know, people comment, uh, they call you what Romo Domus, <laughs> like you predict this and that and the other. And there are those that said, <laughs> if the chiefs had, talk to you they might be in the super bowl today i think that somebody may have even gotten fired they said hell the announcer can see what's going to happen and you can't what i mean what the hell's going on here so uh you really have you, you talked about progressions that when you got into competition for the job you could see the progressions faster than other people you really do see what's happened and you you predict the play with incredible accuracy that it has become a thing. Um, you're yeah. aware of that, right? Yeah, I am. It's funny because they've asked me to like describe or like, a, and I'm like, it's just, you just play the game. And it's like, I think a lot of people could see coaches and players who've played the position could see a lot. The only difference that I feel like you know, it's just, there's that like little thing of, um, I love the game so much. You want to learn as much as you can about the game. Then you eventually learn all that playing the quarterback position. And it's like, okay, I understand. Now it's the systems. Now I understand. I want to understand people. So now it's like, you're the defensive coordinator and you're calling a defense. Well, I want to understand when everything's on the line, who are you at your core? Cause everyone has it. Yeah. I've used that word core like 30 times today, but it's like, who, who is that no, guy? But you're right. This guy, you, he's is somebody. he a gambler or is he not? Yeah. This is, this is not, it's still like an algorithm. Human beings are still going to be who they are and they got to fight against it. So I want to know who this guy is. And there's so many people like that on the field that matter. The quarterback, who's he, what is he trusting? Who's, yeah. And the system wise, what's he going with? Because he's been in the situation a thousand times. He's he's gotta have some laws that govern him a little bit. The defensive guy the same way. Yeah. And so once you put all those together, then you start looking at mannerisms and then you go through, you know, footwork and da da. da. I mean, just I'd say these guys all know it. But you say some things that I think people are learning when you're calling it that just kind of rules the game. Like you I heard you say one time. You need 15 seconds to get your kicking unit onto the field and kick a field goal. 
that if you run the clock down past, is it 15 seconds? 22, but yeah. 20, it's 22. Saying, yeah. It was some number yeah. that you just can't do it under that. You're not going to get it done. So if you don't manage your clock at that, you just can't get it done. And I didn't know that. I'd never thought about that. Ever since you said that, I've watched that. That's right. <laughs> Gee, you can't do it. They can try, but they can't do it. So it only it comes, just takes that long. It really, and this was for, a, we call it a mayday field goal. So if it's third down, and let's say 10, and it's only for the end of, you know, game or, or obviously situation end of half. So third and 10, you throw it and you get seven yards and you're inbounds and you're out of timeouts. So it's only on third down when you're out of timeouts at the end of the half or end of the game. And you throw it and you don't get the first down and you don't go out of bounds. In that specific case, you can't come up and spike it and there has to be only enough time to where you can't run another play, get a first down, and then kick the field goal. Right. So it's such a finite situation. So if you throw it on third down and 10 from your 30, you get seven yards, you're at the 23, you're tackled in bounds, your field goal unit has to run on the field. As soon as you are tackled. They got to know this, be sprinting on the field. Yes. You have to be, they, they're ready for that. But the, the whole point is there needs to be 22 seconds on the clock for this to take place. If there's not, don't even try it. Yeah. So you talk about 15 seconds for them to run on and kick it. I'm saying it's 22 seconds from the snap of the ball to the catch, to being down to the field goal unit getting up and kicking it. That's yeah. one of those, you know, there's a million little things that if your team can get you know, extra prepared, you're ready for that stuff. And if you don't have it, then just go for it, right? I mean, if you're down close enough just and you run out of time, you ought to just go for it because you don't have time to kick it. Correct. You So the, if you're on third and 10 and you get 17 seconds, well, here's, what, here's what's happening. You're snapping the ball again and you're calling a play to go to the end zone on fourth down. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what's happening. Just run the clock down, throw it to the end zone. Yep. Or if you're already in field goal range – you're actually only throwing it past the sticks. Yeah. So you're throwing it 100% out of bounds or past the first down marker. Yeah. Because then you can get up and clock the ball and stop the clock. Yeah. yeah. But you have to understand how different seven seconds is to nine. Yeah. Nine is to 11. Yeah. 11 to 13, 13 to 18. You know, this is with the kind of stuff where it drives you nuts when you're watching sometimes because it's, yeah. it's the difference between winning and losing. I mean, it's the end of the game. Yeah. And you, you can't practice it or talk to your team or your quarterback, the people who control it enough. Did you think you were going to enjoy announcing as much as you are? I hoped. I didn't think, I didn't know that I would. And the fact that I have, I think, is a testament to the group of people I'm around as much as the game and everything as well. Just, yeah. I got a team with Jim Nance, Jim Rickoff, and our group over at, you know, Tracy Wolfson and, Mike Arnold over at CBS that is just rare. Yeah. So I like him. And if I, yeah. if we like each other, it's way more fun being on the road. Yeah. How do you feel about doing the interviews you're doing? You you had a great series leading up to the Super Bowl. It was, oh, it yeah. was Tony goes to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and, that show morphed a few times. The joke was, <laughs> you know, that you finally got to the Super Bowl. Yeah. But you were talking to different players and stuff. And uh, you really seemed comfortable. You really seemed at ease. Did you like doing that? Not really. It was a lot of work, so I'm done doing it. Really? No, I mean, I'm kind of joking, but kind of serious. <laughs> I, I feel like you, you, people don't realize how much work you just put in to come in here and do this. It, yeah. it, you're gifted. You're great. But you put in work, too. And the combination of all that is what makes you rare and special. And I feel like, for me... <laughs> my work was my history of knowing these guys a little bit. Yeah. And then there's a million things you can read up. And I'm like, I just don't want to sound interviewee, you know, yeah. where it's just, I felt like I was like, let's just have a conversation and film it. I yeah. don't want to go like, that was how I wanted the show to come out was just that more so. And and I think that was better for me because I know these guys a little bit. And it's like you, when you have a great buddy that you're sitting down to interview. Yeah. Well, it did come across that way. It came across like two players, 
two people that knew each other some were just kind of cutting up on camera and talking. So you pulled it off. It did come across that way. I actually, they wanted to make it very professional. I wanted to show all the joking and the, the stuff behind the scenes and yeah. stuff. That's no, a little I, ridiculous. I it definitely, you definitely pulled it off. I appreciate it. Uh, but are you serious about golf? I love it. You know, and that's the thing. If you, you, you give me something that brings joy, I call try it. try to a, qualify? I'll, I'll play in a few PGA events this year, I think, and yeah. a few others. My game's... You know, last year I started like really committing to it, so there'll be uh there'll be a, some improvement this year for sure. Hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to show that. Yeah, you got somebody you're working with, or are you just doing it on your own? Yeah, no, I work with Chris O'Connell and Andy Trainer from Plain Truth, and they've uh you know you, you got to go find some people, and then you study it yourself, and then you talk to them, and then we come up with, and then you go attack it. And I feel like I've just my knowledge of the game is you know quadrupled having met them just. You know, Chris and Andy are just very, very intelligent and have helped me tremendously. What are you best at? Short game, long game, putting? What day are you coming out to watch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I've gotten asked that, and I'm always like, um, last week was putting. Now it's my distance, and uh, next week it'll be my iron play. And then I'll be struggling with my putting and struggling with my... Yeah, but you're waiting for that one week where you get them all on the same week <laughs> where they come together. Oh, that'll be a nice day. <laughs> Do you have a, have you made the cut in a PGA event? No, I just played in one last year and I just started with the new swing, which now we look back as a little yeah. aggressive three weeks before, but this year, this year will be, this will be a fun thing to try. And as far as work ethic and commitment, we're, we're putting in the time. My wife will tell you. <laughs> so you got into a PGA event last year. Mm -hmm. How'd you do? I didn't play very well. This that's what be, motivates you, right? That's what does. And like I told you, it doesn't sit well. And then at the end of um, November, I ended up trying to qualify for Q school, which is to kind of get yeah. on the web.com and the PGA tour. And so I got through the first stage, which was a huge accomplishment. Those are oh, all hell great yes, players. Because there are some killer players out yeah. there that are going to be winning PGA events soon. Oh my gosh. All these guys that are out there. I'm like, everybody here is outstanding. But that they, makes you play better, right? Yeah. And I had improved from March until November. And now I haven't really played anything since then. And uh, getting through that was a confidence, but also the game had just, it's starting to get much improved. And a lot of the areas that were just flaws last year where they get exposed in big situations. I, I hope that's going to be different. Yeah. How old are you now? 38, right in my prime for golf. Right in your prime. <laughs> so what are you going to be doing 30, 40 years from now? What do you suspect? You suspect you'll I still be I'm, in sports? I hope I'm still waking up in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's be on one. the right side of the grass? Yeah, exactly. Um, you think you'll still be in sports? Like Let's say 20 years. In 20, 20 years from now, yes. I'll I'll always be involved in sports i think there's no question about that as far as what i mean i could still be announcing i could see that i could be coaching i don't know there's a lot i mean hopefully we get good enough at golf to get paid one day for one event hundred dollars that would be that'd be a good one be a good check well you're a member at the sports club you've walked down that hallway and looked at byron nelson's book laying there what do you got? Seventeen dollars and eighty cents for winning a PGA event, and nine dollars the next week. It was unbelievable. He won eleven straight. I don't think he got two hundred dollars <laughs> winning eleven PGA events in a row. We can get gas this week, man. How much have things changed? It's different. I still remember my first ten thousand dollars I got after I was done with college, getting ready for the draft. My agency gave me ten thousand dollars. Really. I was rich. I mean, yeah, it was yeah, like, like, guys, we're going out on me tonight, and I think yeah. forever. Like, this will never run out. I'm yeah. fine. Uh, that was great. What was your biggest contract in the NFL? That two years for $4 million was, yeah. my, uh, was my biggest. I don't care what anybody says. I've signed, obviously, you know, some big ones there. Yeah. But, you know, whatever it is, four or six, seven years for $70 million or something one time. Yeah, but, they've all been public, I know, so it's – but that, but that two year, of, four million. Yeah, that felt good, didn't it? I was set for life. That was yeah. that was like you could take 
I'm going to have an, an apartment and, yeah. and some girl will at least like me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So you got something to offer, right? <laughs> There's something here that you can work yeah. with. Is there anything in life that you that gives you sweaty palms? Planning a PGA Tour event. Yeah. I think that would be. That will? That will. Yeah. You'll see a couple here in the next two months. But just think about it. That's something that'll move your needle. And that's why it brings me joy. That's right. And, and I didn't think I'd find that again. Yeah. And to be able to be good enough at something that you compete at a level that'll move your needle and get those butterflies going. I mean, how great is that? It's a gift. I mean, you're yeah. exactly, it's a, it's a gift that is given to you. The announcing part is joy I, or uh, an enjoyment. Right. But oh, like you yeah. said, the sweaty palms, I'm not really getting to that, that part of it. Cause you, I feel, I know that this yeah. one to get that gift again, to have that it's, it's really, yeah. It's a joyful obsession. Have you ever hit a hole in one? No, I have hit the stick a few times, and I'm like, this just doesn't work it's, out for me. It's crazy to me. You know, I played football in front of you know stadium full of people and stuff. Had gone down the ramp and you know heard the crowd yelling and had big wins and stuff, and you know been excited. But I got a hole in one, and I was jumping up and down three feet in the air. It's <laughs> like, like a school kid. Why is it? Is you know you've done all this, and then you have that. And you're like a schoolgirl running around <laughs> on the tee box. Oh, uh, you're right. I don't know. I wish. It's like when someone says, "How's the Super Bowl?" I don't know. <laughs> Never been. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you'll get one. I'm, I mean, I'm a terrible golfer, and it's so much luck. But there's a guy at our club that got a hole in one on the par three number three and a hole in one on the par three number five in the same golf round. Wow. I mean, like five minutes apart. I mean, what are the, the odds are like one in 30 million or something. And he was in a foursome, hole in one, played to par four, hole in one. It's a rough life some people have. Yeah, you know, I mean, just, come on. Gosh, and he's not that Some guys get all the luck. Yeah, I know. Come here on. Here we are grinding away over yeah. here in life, and these yeah. guys are making holes. Yeah, we're, we're out here more. working away. <laughs> so, well, listen, I won't take up any more of your time, but this has just been really great, and I appreciate you sharing because I, I really wanted to know the mindset because what you've achieved and accomplished at 38 you know, I've got two boys, Jay and Jordan, and they're Jay's about your age, and my younger Jordan is just turned thirty, and Jordan's a very successful musician. He's like going vertical right now, and love it. My son Jay is a, a TV producer, and he's in business, and I I tell them both. I say, boys, every once in a while, I want you to stop, take a deep breath, look around and take it all in because don't miss the journey. Don't miss the ride because that's a big part of it. And I really encourage him to do that. And I, I tell myself that same thing sometimes. And I hope you've done that along the way and do it because you've had a hell of a journey, man. I think when I was young, I would think about the throwing motion every day and night, like I'd throw into the couch, into the pillows after practice. I'd take 20 balls, go up, turn the lights on at the dome, and I'd throw till 1 a.m. and then get up and go to practice. And I just wanted to get that feeling where it was perfect, you know? And I think I wasn't old enough yet to appreciate that was the joy. Yeah, The joy was in this... I, I want to do this so bad with everything. And then one day you wake up and you're 17 years and you're Dr. Phil and everyone knows you. And the joy was just in some ways trying to become Dr. Phil. Yeah, exactly. And like you are, and this is great and you get it and you got all the, but it's like, so when we talk about that stuff, I mean, I've, I have gratitude when you have an opportunity to really love something that, that makes you get excited waking up in the morning. Yeah. If you're excited, wake up in the morning. You, you have to understand you are rare. <laughs> it's a big time deal to wake up and get out of bed and be like, I can't wait to do this today. If you get that, man, you are a lucky. And if you don't, 
I really feel like try and find something that gives you a little bit. Start doing that in yeah. your life because life's hard. Yeah, and if you get your vocation and your avocation to be the same thing where your work is your play, oh. I mean, how blessed are we? And, you know, I walk in that studio sometimes, open that door and that red light's flashing, and I look up on those walls and it's Dr. Phil everywhere you look. And how did this happen? People are chanting out there and, you know, I'm reading number one for 200 weeks in a row or whatever it is. Just insane stuff. And it's like, I'm just a poor kid from Texas, you know. It's it's just, you wonder, you know, like you say, it's, you can't throw your arm out of socket patting yourself on the back. No, that's, you know, God had a plan to put you there. I just want to be a good steward of it. That's exactly right. Just don't want to screw it up (laughs) now that I'm there. And have some gratitude and humility about it, you know, once you're there and, and be a good steward of it, you know, use it. Like I've got a really big platform, you know, maybe probably 35 million people a week. I just want to be a good steward of it and make sure that I don't waste it and yeah. use it in a good way, you know, and you and do. That's what I want to do. And I think it's apparent you do. Yeah. And Done a uh, lot of great things. And that, that's with this podcast. You know, I want people to hear what we're talking about and go away and say, you know, they're talking about passion. I haven't thought about that a lot. I need to get passionate in my life because I want to be, you know, I want to have the conversation they're having with, with my kids or with somebody. So and if that happens, we've done a good thing here. Well, you've you've been doing it a lot now. Yeah, I might sprinkle in once a blue moon, but I'll get well, to your level maybe. You know, I, I told I you I did the homework. If if you ever sitting around, go look at that. Punch up and listen to players talking about you because they, I kid you not, they say the theme is they felt better about themselves when they're after being around you than they did before. That's called a health engendering personality. That's a good thing. That's really cool. Yeah, your kids are blessed to have that in a dad. I appreciate you. All right, Tony, thanks. Thank you. Find fill in the blanks in your podcast app. Then subscribe so you don't miss an episode.